as you all know, we've been in an awesome series this past few weeks uh, regarding deeper. The whole idea is going deeper in our faith and, and growing deeper in the knowledge of God. And Pastor kicked it off at the beginning of the month with the inside job. And he spoke to us out of Matthew chapter 9. And he addressed us about the whole idea that sometimes we put on a front for people and we act or we show this face that we're full. But really, if we were to really show the behind the scenes look, there are things in our life that are actually blocking us up and presenting this idea of fullness. Whereas if we were to remove those things and allow the Lord to pour into us, we would then truly be full. And then I wasn't able to be here because um, I was unwell, but on the second week, uh, Reverend Atkins came through and I got a chance to watch that, that series and uh, he messed us up with the whole idea of let it die. And he preached to us out of Joshua 1, talking to us about that there are some things in life that you have to let die, that you have to let go of, things that you need to leave behind you if you hope to go forward and move forward into the things that God has for your future. And then last week, Pastor Chantel wrecked shop with us. And she went into 2 Kings chapter 4, and she spoke to us about making room. And it's this whole idea that sometimes in order to make room, it's not necessarily about taking things away. It's not about subtraction. It's about expansion. And so I've been tasked with bringing the entire series to an end this week, the entire deeper series. And I would like to speak to you over something that I believe that God has laid on my heart for this house. And that is concerning going deeper in intimacy going deeper in relationship and relational intimacy with the Lord. Amen. Amen. So today I, I, I have my notes in front of me. I don't know that I'm going to be able to get through all of them really because it's been, in, if I can be completely transparent with everybody, it's been a very pressing week and I've been on and off with some aspects of this message, even though I know that it's something that the Lord gave me to speak. And I know that the challenge really has to do with the theme. It's the whole idea that we are being challenged to go deeper. And there's something about becoming more intimate with the Lord that the enemy wants to keep us away from. But I trust God. I trust him. And I believe sincerely that today is going to be a day of great breakthrough for many of us, myself included, and that it's going to be a time for us to come to a greater understanding of what it is that God is requiring of us with regards to going deeper. So let's just go right into, right into the scripture. I'm reading from John chapter 15, verse 1 to 8. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. My title today is very simple and so simple. In fact, I'm going to invite you to say it with me. Repeat after me. Do it for the vine. 
Amen. Hey, I am going to do it. Yeah. <laughs> so do it for the vine. The whole idea is this. Uh, just, just to backtrack a little bit, taking it out of the gospel of John, there's something that's really important about the gospel of John. Not that I have favorites, but if I did have favorites, the gospel of John would be my favorite of the four synoptic gospels. Out of Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, John would be my favorite. The reason being is that there's great agreement across the board with biblical scholars that John writes differently And he approaches Jesus Christ differently than all of the other gospel writers. That being that he tends to not focus so much on the miraculous acts or the historical details of Christ, but he approaches writing Christ from a much more personal, a much more intimate place, a much more relational place. And not only does he approach it from that standpoint, he writes through spiritual themes, So you'll find that as you're reading the gospel of John, you're reading about his personal focus on Jesus being the eternal son of God sent from God for us to bring us into the family of God. He's his flow in this gospel is ultimately geared towards giving us evidence that Jesus truly is the Christ. He is the Messiah that the Jews have been waiting on and we need to believe on him in order to be saved. Do I have do I have people in the house still? It's so quiet out there. With, with the way that John writes, he, he writes from a very, str- a very specific standpoint concerning the Lord. He's not 50-50 in his approach to Jesus. He doesn't write him as half man and half God. He approaches him from the standpoint that he is completely divine and yet completely human. He is so divine that he steps out of eternity and he becomes the word made flesh. And yet he's still human enough to die on Calvary's cross for all of our sins. That's the way that John tends to write. And so we find that in John chapter 15, where where I'm going to start speaking from, he's actually taking the time to speak about the Lord in a very relational, very personal sense. This scripture is actually coming on just the eve of Christ's crucifixion. And instead of Jesus just making sure that he's okay and getting himself together and preparing himself for the crucifixion, he's actually taking the time just before his crucifixion to take care of his disciples. He's ministering to them. He is preparing them not only for his death, but he's preparing them for life after his death. He is preparing them for his physical absence and he's giving them instruction on what they need to do when he's gone in order to maintain the work that has already been begun in them. And so just to give you a little bit of context, the two chapters before John chapter 15 and John chapter 13, it's known as what we call the last supper. So Jesus is in an upper room. There's a discourse going on, a conversation going on in the upper room. This is where Jesus reveals that it's Judas, one of the 12 disciples that he called that's going to betray him. This is also where he reveals to Peter that Peter's going to deny him three times um, in the process of this crucifixion. And it moves into, into chapter 14. And in chapter 14, Jesus begins to become very introspective and very reflective. And he starts talking about his own personal relationship 
with the father and his oneness with the father. And ultimately he, he posts the similitude of the relationship that the disciples have with him in, in concordance with the relationship that he has with his father. And in John 14, 19, it reads yet and a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live. You also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. It's that idea of oneness, that we are together in this. Jesus is leading his disciples not only into a better understanding of who he is, but into a greater understanding of who they are as a result of being in him, and him being in them. He then concludes the chapter, chapter 14, with a statement of obedience, but I do as the Father commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise and let us go from here. And this is where we pick up in John chapter 15. And in John chapter 15, there's this idea of when he says rise and go from here, perhaps they're leaving the upper room and they're already outside walking, or maybe they're getting together and they're preparing to leave the room. But he says to them, he says, he starts this conversation and he says, I am the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. Some translations say gardener, some say husbandman. But every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. And my first point is this. God is invested in and facilitates our growth. God is invested in and facilitates our growth. The reason that I say this is because God is pictured here as the vine dresser. He's the one that plants the vineyard. He's the one that establishes an atmosphere for the vine. And in this case, the vine is Jesus Christ to come in and for we, his branches to grow and to bear fruit. And I want to bring attention to, to something very specific that the Lord says. He says, I am the true vine. The fact that he uses the word true would imply to us that maybe there's something false or there's another vine that isn't him. And he's actually very specific. He's making reference to the original vineyard that the Lord planted, that God planted. And it's coming out of the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter five. In Isaiah chapter five, from one to seven, uh, the prophet begins to relay an uh, to relay an idea of something that God had done with the Israel, the Israelites, the people of God. And it says that I'm going to sing a song of my beloved's vineyard. I'm going to sing a song about God's vineyard. And this particular vineyard God planted and he, he hedged it about. He put in fences. He removed stones so that it could grow and it could flourish. And he, he put a watchtower on it so no harm could come to it. And he dug a wine vat because he expected for there to be a flow from the grapes that would bear on this vine. But instead of bearing good fruit, Isaiah says that the, the fruit that came forth was bad, bad grapes, wild grapes, actually, is what it says. And it says that God was so distraught about the fact that it did not bear the fruit that he intended that he said, what am I going to do with this vineyard? I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to remove all of the hedges. I'm going to tear down its walls. I'm going to allow it to become run down. I'm going to, I'm going to shut up the heaven so that it doesn't rain on it because this did not produce the fruit that I intended it to produce. God is invested in our growth and he facilitates it so much so that because the original plan, the Israelites, the men of Judah that he's talking about in Isaiah, because they failed to bring forth, he he decided within himself that he was going to make sure that we brought forth. And so he places the true vine in the midst of us as a guarantee 
that we will become the rightful successors and we will produce the kind of fruit that he intends. He's the one who cultivates our branches and does the pruning. So if anybody has ever been around a gardener, if you're a gardener yourself, you know that there are times when you have to cut back on on the vine or cut back on the bush or the flower as it's growing because you want it to become more productive. We would think that that's counterintuitive. We would think, well, if you're doing well, why wouldn't you just allow the plant to just continue to grow? And the truth is about it is that as it's growing, sometimes it's gathering things or there are things in its presence that are per, that are creating hindrances for it to continue to produce. So God in his loving kindness says that when you are bearing fruit, I actually cut back certain things in your life. I take things out that will, that will trip you up. I take things out that will hinder you from growing further. I remove things from your path, though in the time it might seem uncomfortable. In the end, you're actually going to be the better for it. So he takes these things away because he is the vine dresser and because he is invested in our growth. There's the thing about God is that God is an awesome father and he's an awesome parent. He knows better than us what we need. He knows who we are as human beings and that we are prone to do things that we really shouldn't be doing that will ultimately end up messing us up if we're not careful. And so every step that he takes and every precaution he takes is really for us. I'll give you an, an example that the Lord really used to bring who I am in him to, to my attention. About a week ago, I was at a birthday party. And during the birthday party, uh, we were allowed to use the pool at, at, the, at the lady's house. So I had my three children in the pool. And my, my children are young, six and four and a half and two. And the youngest one, if anybody has ever met or seen my youngest one, you know he's somebody right there is like, yep. He's a force to contend with. Like he's, he really is. Had, does anybody remember the game Street Fighter? Anybody remember? And there's, okay, there's a character in Street Fighter named Ryu. Right? Okay. Ryu and Ken, there are two of them. They both have the same move. It's this, it's this, it looks like a fireball, but what it really is, it's a concentration of energy. It's like a ball of energy and it's concentrated. It's called the Hadouken. And then he, he, Ryu will hold it and he'll, he'll draw in this energy and then he'll go Hadouken and he'll release it. That's my son. My son is the Hadouken of our family. So I have this child in the water with me and he's bouncing up and down and he's, he's gaining confidence. He's starting to climb me and then he'll jump back into the water and I'm holding him the whole time and he climbs me and he jumps back into the water and he's perfectly satisfied until he notices a bunch of other kids are actually jumping off of the deck into the pool. So he decides, I'm good. I'm going to do that. I want to be with them. So he, he climbs up my shoulder and onto the deck and I'm holding him the whole time and he's like, mommy, I jump. So I held him and he jumped into the pool and I was like, oh, this is nice. He's like, mommy, I jump again. So I put him back up and I held him there and he jumped again into the pool. This is great. Fantastic. He's building confidence. Put him back up again and he backs away from my hand. And I reached out to get him and he backs away a little more. And then this child clean took off down the deck towards the deep end of the pool, propels himself off of the deck and into the deep end. It is the grace of God that I know how to swim. It's like the Lord put jet skis on me. I hit the bottom of the, the bottom of the pool and went right under to the deep end, grabbed him, pulled him up and put him back on the side of the pool, got out of the pool. And the first thing out of my mouth as he coughed out some of the water and looked at me with a big smile was little boy. When Jesus said launch out into the deep, he was not talking to you. 
But this is us. This is us as human beings. This is us as children of God. We start to smell ourselves. We get a little fresh when we're growing, right? And we think that we have learned a little something. So we start to step away from, from what God really intends for us. Even though he has a plan for us to become better and to improve us, we step away from that because we sometimes feel like, it's good, I, I got this. Didn't you see, I, I, I climbed up you before and I jumped and I was fine. Didn't you see when I was on the deck, I jumped into your hands and I was fine. I don't need you right now because I got this. But then we end up in a place we have no right being and we require him to come and rescue him, to rescue us. I had my eyes on my son because I love him. That's why I saw where he was going and I was able to get to him and snatch him from where he was and bring him back to abide with me. That's what God does with us. He sees where we're going and he says, I look, I have a plan for you. I know who you are. I know, I know the tendency of man is to wander. We used to sing a song prone to wander. Lord, I feel it prone to wander from the God that I love, but Lord seal my heart and take it. Lord God, seal it in the heavens above. He knows our hearts. He knows we're prone to wander from him, but he's putting things in place for us because he's saying, let me work with you. Let me be in you abide with me and let me abide in you because there's a process that I have for you. And that process is to produce more fruit. Let's do it for the vine. My second point is that abiding is ongoing and its results are progressive. Verse two, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, bears fruit. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit, fruit, more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. He's establishing relationships. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Stacy, can I get you to come up here for a second? The fact of the matter is that Jesus has already begun a work in us. For those of us who are called of the Lord, who have responded to that call, who have answered the call of the Lord and are walking in relationship with him, just right here. He, he has begun a work in us. He's spoken a word to us that has already begun to cleanse us and we've already begun to produce some fruit. But he's saying we're responsible now to continue to abide in him so that we can produce more fruit. So I'm going to show you, I'm going to give you an illustration of something that took place in our lives years ago. Stacey's, the way the reason she looks like this is because she doesn't know what I'm going to ask her to do. <laughs> she just knows I'm going to ask her to do something. She's like, I know it. I know it. Yes. Yeah, don't flick out on me. All right. So years ago, Stacy and I were at my house, and we were watching TV in my basement. And it, I don't know what happened while we were watching TV, but out of the clear blue, from the TV comes this reggae tune from like way back in the day. I don't remember. Do you remember if it was, I don't remember if it was, it was Bujo. I thought it was Bounty, but she, it was Bujo. And this, no word of a lie. I didn't tell her what we were about to do. So you know what's about to happen is the truth. Okay. This is what happened. The Bujo tune lit. What happened, Stacey? Why? Whoa. That's what took place. 
the reason that we had that reaction was not because um, for those of you who love your music, I'm not hating on your music. It's not, it wasn't the music. We were shocked because that represented a lifestyle that we had walked away for at least like seven, eight years. We had been saved for like seven, eight years at that point. And we hadn't been listening to that. We hadn't been engaging in that lifestyle anymore. So the fact that we had this visceral response was a shock to us. But what it did is that it showed us is that we still have certain triggers. That if we're not careful and we don't mind, the enemy will work through. Moreover, if we were to continue to give into that and, you know, shock out and skin out and continue to carry on, we could very well end right back up where we were when the Lord snatched us from that place in the first place. But that was never the Lord's intention. Fast forward now to about a year and a half ago, coming up on two years. Stacey Ann is sitting in her own house. I'm sitting in my own house. The Lord is beginning to speak to the both of us, and we're unaware of what God is saying to the other person. She's praying, I'm praying. I hear the Lord say to me, Michelle, there is a shift that is taking place, and I need you to return to a place of prayer. I need you to get with Stacy. And begin to pray together the way that you used to. Stacy calls me about two days later and says, I'm not sure what's going on, but I've been praying. And I feel like there's a shift that needs to take place. And I was wondering if you wanted us to start praying together again. Same two people. Same God. Completely different set of circumstances. What has changed? The only thing that changed is that, like I said, instead of us reverting back to type and giving into things that triggered us, instead of us buying into the lie that the enemy likes to tell some of us when we're walking this walk of, oh, you're not really saved. See, why would you still feel that way? Why would you want to clap that girl a box just because she mouthed off at you if you were really saved? Why would you throw up the finger to somebody when you're driving, when they cut you off, if you were really saved, if God really did something different in you. And then we start to question if God really did something in us. And we start to rely on ourselves instead of trusting in the work that he's doing in us because abiding is ongoing and its results are progressive. The only thing that changed is that Stacy and I continued to abide We continue to reach out to God. We continue to pray. We continue to seek his face. There are, there are three ways, in fact, that, that we continue to abide in him. We continue to abide in him by faith. Hebrews 3.14 says, for we have come to share in Christ. If he, if we indeed hold our original confidence firm to the end, we trusted in God to continue doing his work in us. We abided in him by, by obedience. Galatians 5.24, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh and its passions and desires and we continue to abide in his body we stayed around other believers we encompassed ourselves with other people who were of like faith Colossians 1 18 says and he is the head of the body the church he is the beginning the firstborn from the dead that in everything he might be preeminent we are members of his body so we stayed in his body and because we abided, we had a completely different experience on this end than we did in the beginning. The first time, we heard a sound that was external to us and we reacted in our flesh. The second time, we heard a sound that came from within us and we responded from our spirit to what the Lord was directing us to do. And the only reason that took place is because we were abiding. Amen. Thanks, Stacey. Thanks for not flaking.
flaking out on me. So that leads me to, to my next point, and that is that true intimacy necessitates an exchange. True intimacy necessitates an exchange. It's reciprocal. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Now, I want to clarify this. Jesus is not giving us a carte blanche when it comes to prayer here. He's not saying any single thing, any old thing that you want. If you abide in me, I'll give it to you. One of my favorite old movies is the movie Overboard with Goldie Hawn and Kurt Russell. And there's a scene in it where she, this woman, Goldie Hawn, she's incredibly wealthy. And she ends up um, becoming married to this man through a series of very unfortunate circumstances. And he already has some kids. And when the kids find out how wealthy she is, they start writing lists of things they want. They're like, how do you spell Portia? And that's how, that's how we would tend to take the scripture. We would think, oh, well, then I can just go ahead and not whatever. But that's not really the case. The idea in this scripture is that as we're abiding in him and as his word is abiding in us, he will begin to change the desires of our heart so that when we pray, we pray from a pure and genuine place and we pray according to what his desires are anyway. And he answers those prayers because they are in line already with what he desires. So true intimacy necessitates an exchange and an exchange is the giving of one thing for another i abide in you you abide in me you don't abide in me you get tossed out as a branch uh, that withers and the branches end up gathered thrown into the fire if you abide in me though and my words what i've spoken abides in you ask whatever you wish an exchange you and me are exchanging. The more intimate we become with the Lord, the more he requires us to exchange certain things. There's a fascinating, a fascinating dialogue between the woman at the well in John chapter four, the Samaritan woman. For those of you who may not know, the Samaritans were people that were, we would call them a, a mixed race or a mixed breeds. And the Jews didn't have any respect for them. They were looked down upon by the Jews. And Jesus is on his way to Galilee. And he stops at a small town in Samaria, stops by a well and encounters this Samaritan woman. And he says to her, give me something to drink. And she said to him, why are you even talking to me? You're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. You have, we have no place with each other. Why are you asking? And he says to her, first exchange, if you knew the gift and who it was that was asking you to drink, you would actually be asking me and I would give you living water. I think that's amazing because they're sitting by a well and yet Jesus speaks to her from his capacity and says, what you're, what you're going to draw water from doesn't compare to what I can give you. So she, so she says, well, where are you going to get this water? You don't even have anything to draw with. And he says to her, he says, okay. The, you, she, he, she starts talking to him and giving him a, a historical lesson on, you know, our fathers said that we should worship in the mountain and you're a Jew. You say that we should worship in Jerusalem. And he stops her and he says, listen, the time is coming when we're not going to worship in a mountain or in Jerusalem. Those are superficial things. The time is coming when God is requiring worshipers that will worship him in spirit and in truth. Here's the exchange. You've been sitting in religion and you've been satisfied with religion, but I'm here to exchange religion for relationship. So you want to go and do external things to get to God. I'm telling you, I want to do something in you so that God comes through you. 
there's an exchange that is necessary when it comes to intimacy. But it requires that we abide in the Lord and requires that we allow his word to abide in us. And my last point is intimacy results in production and reproduction. Fruit is produced only because of our vital union with Christ the Lord. Without him, we can do nothing. Have you ever seen a a branch from a tree that's broken off on the ground bearing fruit? It has to remain attached to its source because it's what's in the source that allows it to produce fruit in the first place. It actually doesn't produce the fruit. It just bears it. It carries it. But the real production comes from the tree itself, disconnected from its source, and it can do nothing. I I thought of no better way to illustrate this point than to ask Pastor Chantal and Pastor Andrew to come up. Clap for them as they come. We appreciate them so much. We love them so much. We're grateful for them. Now, something I really love about, about Pastor Chantal and Pastor Andrew is how, you don't have to sit, you can just stay right here, is how transparent they are. They've been very transparent with us about their own individual journeys, about their walk together as, as a couple, as pastors, as leaders, as believers. And so I'm going to call upon some of that transparency. I'm going to ask you, I'm going to ask you to trust me. I'm not going to expose anybody's business. Don't worry. <laughs> But I'm going to call on on their relationship to illustrate the fact that intimacy results in production and reproduction. So there was a point in time when Pastor Chantal and Pastor Andrew, they knew each other, but they weren't involved in a romantic relationship. They were just friends. I'm actually going to come in between y'all because holiness is right. Okay. So they were just friends. They weren't interacting on, on any level other than that of friendship. And at some point, this, this man of God understood that there was something about Pastor Chantal that he needed, Chantal Henry at that time, that he, he wanted in his life. And so he began to pursue her. That's the man that he is. He wooed her. He pursued her. And he eventually, he won her over and they came into relationship one with another. And at this time, this relationship, it was good. It was fun. You know, they were, they were doing the dating thing. It was cute. You know, much like how sometimes we do. We come to church and we court the church. We date the church. It's cute. We come and we say hey to the people. We socialize with one another. And then we go home. You don't hear a thing from us again until the following Sunday. But they decided that if this was going to go any further, they would need to deepen their relationship. Dating wouldn't be enough for what really the intentions were and the plans were for them. So Pastor Andrew, being the man of God that he is, being the manly man that he is, puts forth an invitation to Pastor Chantel and, and, and he invites her into relationship. He goes down on his knees. He hits the earth first. Because his intention is to lift her up. And at some point, Pastor Chantel has a decision to make. She can either say to herself, I'm doing pretty good on my own. I'm an independent woman. I'm bright. I'm smart. I got my own thing going on. Got my own money. Got my own car. Got my own this, my own that. I'm educated. But she looks at him and realizes her eternity, her destiny is wrapped up in him as well. 
And so she accepts his invitation. And in that moment that she accepts his invitation, they become married and they cut a covenant. Pastor Andrew has done something amazing because he has actually transported Chantel Henry out of one realm into another. He's moved her out of singleness and independence and he's put her under his own covering and he says to her, I am now going to protect you. I am now going to provide for you. I am now going to cover you and I'm going to give you my name. So he changes her from Henry and she becomes Beresford. So they are now walking together in matrimony. And as they walk alone, they encounter some things in life. They encounter some things in the relationship, some hard times, some rough times, some good times, some very victorious times. And through it all, they abide with one another. And as they're abiding with one another, their love for one another is growing. I'm going to ask you a question. Very simple one. When you got married, did you love one another? Y'all heard that? Yes. Yes. Do you love one another the same way you did the day you got married? No, 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 no. The only difference between almost, what, 12 years now you've been married. Thank God. Thank you, Jesus, for long-lasting marriages. 12 years they've been married. And they have walked through some things with one another. And yet you heard from them that they love each other differently now than they did then. Why? Because they've been abiding with one another. They're becoming more intimate with one another. They've been making exchanges with one another that has deepened their appreciation. They've learned some things about one another that they didn't learn when they were skipping happily and dating. They've seen some sides to one another that nobody could have told them about unless they were intimately involved. That's how it is with God and us. The more we, the day we got saved, sorry to burst your bubble. We didn't love God when we came to him. We didn't. There's nobody that came skipping into the house of God because they loved him so much and begged him to save them. He loved us. He wooed us. He came after us. He made, gave us an invitation. He hit the earth first and so that he could lift us up. And when we accepted the the invitation, he transported us from one realm of death into a realm of life with him and said, I'm now going to cover you, but you've got to give up your independence and you have to dwell with me and abide in me. Can I take this a little bit further? Okay. So they're walking in intimacy one with another. Pastor Andrew has been created uniquely and Pastor Chantel has been created uniquely for a purpose. Pastor Andrew has what we call capacity. Within him is the ability to produce life. Pastor Chantel has what we call potential. Within her is the, uh, the potential to bear the life that he can produce. But if no intimacy takes place, if there is no exchange... If what's in him does not hit what's in her and abide, nothing can happen because without him, she can do nothing. So they come together now and an exchange takes place and the life that is in him produces life in her that she bears and brings forth. I want to point something out. The fact that she has born fruit, has had children, does not make her any more or any less Mrs. Beresford. She was Mrs. Beresford the day they got married. Positionally, nothing has changed. That will not change. 
What has changed is the fact that when we look at her and we see fruit, we can say intimacy has taken place because there's fruit. When people look at us, it's not a matter of, well, she bears more fruit than her, so she must be more saved than her. He does more for the Lord than him, so he must be closer or more saved than he is. There is none of that. Positionally, we are all in Christ, period. When people see fruit in our life, what it tells them is that intimacy is taking place. Can I take it one step further? When we look at her fruit, when we see Gabe, when we see Claire, when we see Noah, not only can we tell that intimacy has taken place, we can tell who it's been with. What are the fruits in your life telling people about who you're with? What are the things that, coming, that are coming out of your mouth telling people about who you're with? When you're sliding in the DMs, what is that telling people about who you're with? Thank you so much, pastors. Thank you so much. What is it telling people about who you're with? Our fruit is what tells us intimacy has taken place. And intimacy always results, always results in production and reproduction. I'll take it one step further. Those children who are born of them also have the capacity to produce, to reproduce after their own kind. We are actually given instruction in Matthew 28 and 19 to reproduce. It's called the Great Commission. We're told that we are to go into all of the earth and preach the gospel and make disciples, reproduction. Make disciples. We cannot divorce the idea of discipleship from, from fruit bearing and from intimacy. And so I'm just going to wrap up this, this morning and I'm just going to go back over the points that I made. God is invested in our growth. He facilitates our growth. Abiding is ongoing and it's progressive. God is still working on us. So even when you feel triggered by things, stay in him, allow him to stay in you. The progress and the results are progressive. Intimacy necessitates an exchange. There's got to be something that we give up and give in to the Lord as he gives to us. And intimacy will always produce fruit. It will always result in production and reproduction. There are some people here that I understand are being baptized today. And I just want to encourage you. This is not the end of your process. Sometimes in church, we get this idea that there are two steps. You get saved and then you get baptized and then that's it. This is actually the beginning of your process. This is an ongoing abiding walk. It is a process and it's a journey with the Lord. So even as you're walking through, I want you to to do as Stacey Ann and I did. If something happens that starts to cause you to draw and make questions about whether or not you're really saved and whether or not the Lord has really done a work in you, encourage yourself in this. Encourage yourself in the word of the Lord. Begin to learn his word. Uh, David says in Psalms 119, he says, how else can a young man cleanse his way but taking heed to the word of the Lord? And he says again, in thy, thy word, O Lord, have I hidden in my heart so that I will not sin against you. 
Learn the word of the Lord. Plant it into your heart and into your life. Be obedient to what God is telling you. Surround yourself with people of like faith who are growing in the Lord and allow them to come alongside you in this walk. There are a lot of things, there are a lot of things in this life I, I really don't know. I don't know the, the laws of thermodynamics. I couldn't explain to you any, any theories of quantum physics. I, I don't even know if Kiki love you or if he riding. I don't know. I don't know. That's my answer to that question. But I know of a surety that God loves you. I know that he wants you to go deeper. I know that he wants you to become more intimately involved with him in relationship because the whole idea is to progress you in this journey from bearing fruit to bearing more fruit to bearing much fruit. God bless you all.